Welcome, and thank you for tuning into Organon, the official podcast of Ology Research Group, exploring contemporary social issues via data, insights, and change. Strengths Quest is a program that helps people learn what they do best and then how to build on our, on our studies, careers, and lives, capitalizing on those talents. The program focuses on strengths rather than weaknesses and can help individuals benefit per- personally and professionally. On this episode, we have the pleasure of being joined by Gallup Strengths and Life Coach Roseanne Santos to talk about the program, about motivation, empowerment, and how the program can help you in your professional and academic endeavors. Present today to talk about this, from New York City, we have myself, Carl Letamendi. Jasmine Letamendi. And we also have the pleasure of being joined by Roseanne Santos. Welcome to the show, (laughs) Roseanne. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And recording from Los Angeles, we have... Hey there, Casey Shap. And Courtney Hirose. And I will go ahead and take it away. Roseanne, thanks again for joining us. And the Strength Quest program is actually something that I'm not extremely familiar with. So do you want to maybe just start off by telling us a little bit about it? Sure. So Strength's Quest is owned by the Gallup Corporation. Um, I think most people know Gallup as doing polling and things of that nature, but they're a research company and they own this inventory. It is an inventory. It takes about uh, 30 minutes or so. And once you're done taking the inventory, it literally spits out your top five strengths and out of a possible 34. And what they do is they give you a little paragraph about those strengths, what it is, what it means, and the philosophy behind it and why I like it so much and why I chose them to get my certification with is because it has you looking at yourself and others from a strengths-based lens rather than a deficit lens. And in my opinion and in my research and also in my experience, When you walk into a room and you're looking at the people you work with or the people that you supervise from a place of strength rather than a place of what they don't do well, it totally changes the dynamics. Mm -hmm. Okay. What do you think folks can do? Like once they know their, their strengths, like how can they utilize their strengths? Well, the first thing they have to do once they're aware of them and interestingly, Gallup has a whole prescription for this, Mm -hmm. is that they have to um, claim them. So for example, if you have five strengths and you're reading the report and you're like, this doesn't sound anything like me. The first thing you have to do is really look in the mirror and become self-aware and understand that yes, this is probably you and you just haven't been able to see yourself in this way because we're so used to seeing ourselves from what our weaknesses are and how we want to improve on our weakness. I'll give you an example. We have a colleague, Jasmine, who remained nameless, who was really, really (laughs) sad that she didn't have empathy in her top five strengths. And that's one of the 34. And when I did a training for that team and she said this out loud, the entire room looked at her like she was crazy. Like, why would you think you had empathy? So sometimes the people that we work with and that know us best really do know us best. And we don't always have a full picture of who we are. So the first thing that they have to do is claim the strengths. Could you take them over again? Sure. But Gallup has data that shows that most people who take the strengths never shift um, within the top, within the top 10. So let's say for me, my number one strength is woo. That's like another version of extroversion. It means winning others over. I could take the test again now, and maybe woo will shift to my third or fourth strength. I could take it again in a couple of years and it might go back to one or it might even go to six or seven, but it'll never leave my top 10. It just depends on where I am in life. You know, there might be something going on in my current job or my current career or my life where maybe I'm just not feeling so extroverted. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's the first thing people have to do is claim them. And I think that's the hardest part because it takes a little bit of self-awareness and a a nice long look in the mirror and people don't always want to do that. And then the other thing that you have to do, once you claim your strengths, you have to develop them. So now what am I going to do to properly develop my woo, right? My woo, that's my number one. So what I have been doing, and this is going to sound a little odd, 
but I have to develop my woo in a way that isn't so overbearing. So I have to learn how to stay that way, but tone it down a little bit. How do you network without being overbearing? You know, you all know these extra extroverted people. And sometimes I can be that. And I certainly don't want to turn people off. So now that I know that that's one of my top strengths, I need to hone in on it and use it so that it makes me more of an expert in what I do. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I, I, uh, I think Casey's our woo. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> I'm a total introvert. I'm a mini woo. You say that, but I don't think on so. On the podcast, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what they're saying. I can send all of you the, um, I'll send you guys complimentary codes and you can take it if you'd like so that you have it. Jasmine has taken it already. So Mm -hmm. Thanks. And I saw Casey nodding. Is this a, um, is strength quest something you're familiar with or did, did, did other similar assessments come up as Roseanne was talking about it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you said that because um, there's this, I love these kind of like self-development surveys and everything. And um, it reminded me of another survey, uh, another strength finder that you um, can know test that kind of focus in the same area where you focus on your strength rather than your like weakness. And um, it, it's just, uh, it's, I think. I learned a lot about myself, but what my my um what I had trouble was how to integrate that into my professional and personal life. It's kind of one of those. Do you remember the oh, name of it? Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, I do. Yes. Let me. I have the book here somewhere. Um, it's not give MTI, me two. Ti the Myers Briggs. That's one of them. No. Um. No. It's she's. Uh. It was a a lady. She developed it a few uh, like about ten years ago. Um. But it was the same concept. Um, give me five minutes to find it. Well, there's a couple. There's the Myers Briggs, which that one. Are you all familiar with Myers Briggs? That mm-hmm. one is a little more popular. Um, there's also Assessment 360. Do you have you ever got? Have you guys ever heard of that one? That's an interesting one because it, it literally is a, Assessment 360. You do an inventory as well, but what you do is you invite people who have supervised you, people who are at your level, and people who you supervise to fill out the inventory as well. And you get literally a 360 view of your capabilities, um, what you're missing, what you're very good at. That one is, I highly recommend it, uh, especially because you are all running this organization. It's really an interesting way to get a sense of how you're viewed by people at various levels in your life. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's interesting you said that because Carl, you have a comment about that? <laughs> yeah, we're, we were like a couple years ago, we kind of put our heads together to look at some and we developed one called ION, which in- incorporates some, some element of the 360 evaluation, which is the index of organizational needs, where you take different people within the organization, review people who you're supervised by, people who are below you, and also like other colleagues at your level. So it's not just like the people who supervise you directly and those that you supervise, but also other colleagues that are in your same level and other colleagues that are above and below you um, in the organizational chart too. So it's something that we have, um, we're we're ready. Like once we have a client that, that has those particular needs, we could definitely come in there and uh, and help them with with a comparable evaluation so are you evaluating those different groups it's not it's it sounds like it's the opposite of 360 where you're asking people to evaluate you personally from those three groups am i understanding it correctly it's uh, it it mainly rests on the statistical principles of subjective probability so it's like their lived experience being there where they are in the organization mm. Oh, okay. Well, I can't. Do you have an article on it or something I can read? Um, we can we can dig up some stuff. I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think it was. It's interesting that the strength quest focuses on the person's <clears throat> strengths, but not exactly their weakness. Is are there any concerns to doing <clears throat> that? Because like, if anyone has a weakness and they want to improve on that weakness then by focusing too much on what you're already good at isn't that kind of like neglecting your weaknesses have you ever seen a pitcher practice his catching or batting 
or anything of that nature when you're watching a baseball game? Yes. Really? <laughs> you see a pitcher practicing something other than pitching during like a major league game? Usually they just do what, mm. what they're assigned to do. Well, but they're not necessarily assigned to that. They were recruited to being in that position because they already had a natural talent in being a pitcher. They could throw a 90 mile an hour fastball, mm -hmm. right? And so every position on the field has its own special coach because that's what those people are good at. That's what they're, yes, on some level, that's what they're assigned to. And what I would say to your question is something that someone the metaphor that I was taught when I was learning about Strength Quest is um, Sisyphus in mythology, who was constantly pushing a boulder up the hill because that was his punishment from the gods. So mm -hmm. every time he got to the top of the hill, he could never, the thing would roll back down. And when we're focusing too much on things that we're not naturally good at, I think the, the key word is naturally. If we're not focusing on things that we're naturally good at, then on some level, we're wasting our talents and we're wasting our time because if we hone in on the things we're naturally good at, then we can become excellent at them. Mm -hmm. So it is, I know that we live in a society um, that wants us to get better at the things we're not good at. But I, for one, am no longer a spring chicken. And I want to get better at the things that I'm already good at so that I can then become an expert at them and continue to to, to just do what I do best and to do what I do naturally. Mm -hmm. There's no sense for me to try to suddenly become a financial expert. I'm just not a natural at those kinds of skills. So instead, I want to become an expert at my networking skills and my people skills and develop those things because that's what I enjoy. So the, the two keys to not focusing so much on your weaknesses is, one, what are your natural talents? If you have a natural talent in something, then it's never going to be your weakness. You have a passion for it. And then two, are they things that, for me, you can monetize? And when you want to monetize something, you do have to be good at it and passionate at it. You know a lot of people who work in corporate America, they're making good money, but they hate their jobs. I, I mean, I just got off the phone with somebody like that. So how do you find the things you really do love? And oftentimes, there's an, uh, what is that quote? If you do what you love, you don't work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. oh. Right. So if you're constantly working at things that you're, we'll use the word weaknesses, you know, do you ever really find love and passion in those things? It's a constant struggle when you are trying to do work that falls in the area where you're not naturally talented. Yeah. Um, I found that book. Her name is Sally Hogshead. And her idea is about fascination. Just she, so she has a 20-question survey. And it's all about, like, how do you, what drives you? what exactly what you're talking about what are your strengths how do you um, harness the strengths and do things that are actually beneficial to you um but that's uh and i took it a while back and mine was um creativity and um uh just exploration so that's the one thing that i know for me i like i hate doing something that's like over and over and over <laughs> it like it drains me mentally mm -hmm. um but I, I love the, these kind of tests because it's a different way of looking at our values, you know. Um, though I'm just curious, maybe this might not relate, but how does um, finding your strength different from a culture of, you know, the keep saying about millennials, oh, it's a, you know, everybody gets a trophy kind of culture. Nobody gets mm -hmm. a B or a C. Everyone gets an A. Not Is in my class. Like a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, like, is there, it was, is, are we, we looking at our strengths? Are we look trying to, like, think that we are all successful? Or, I mean, like, and not anyone can be a CEO or can, you know, have successful operations. You know, there has to be some cooks and chefs and sous chefs in the kitchen. So, I'm sorry, I lost what the question was. <clears throat> um, I know, I'm, I'm exploring it too. Um, 
<laughs> I'm curious if we're placing too much emphasis on the strengths and and we're we're maybe deluding ourselves and thinking that you know we're we're all special. Maybe what what is the case that we're not, we're not all special? That we're some of us are meant to do a nine to five job and you know be okay with it. But doing a nine to five job has nothing to do with not having strengths. That nine to five job requires you to call on your strengths. Mm, okay. So let me let me just give you some data that I looked up and why strengths um, or what Gallup does with strengths. So one of the things that they study is <clears throat> workforce engagement. <clears throat> and they have this data that says that 39% of college graduates are engaged at work. That's an extremely low number. Only 11% of college graduates are thriving in all five elements of their well-being, five elements being their five strengths. Mm -hmm. So that means that just one-third of recent graduates with high student loan debt say their education was worth the cost. So what they're, the point that they're mm -hmm. trying to make is that when we're engaged, I think of vocational education, right? People who are doing a vocation, they're finding a lot of success. For example, a plumber, they're not coming out of their vocational um, uh, studies, for lack of a better term, with debts. They're finding that they're successful in their businesses. They're honing in on whatever it is that they're, they're naturally good at. In this sense, plumbing, right? They have a natural knack for doing things with their hands and they have a good understanding with for that stuff. They don't need to watch a YouTube video to do it. They just kind of are natural. And I'm using that, you know, just as a very loose example. And I think that what we're, we, what you described on some level is a hierarchy at work mm -hmm. that there's nothing wrong with. There's sous chefs, but the sous chef still has strengths. The sous, the sous chef still has whatever their top five strengths are, and this is what they're excellent at. If that's what they're going to be excellent at, then there's nothing mm. wrong with someone who, I don't know, does janitorial work and uses their five strengths to do an excellent job doing that particular profession. So... I don't necessarily see those things as parallel, the idea of everybody getting a trophy. That I don't I don't believe that that's what this is about. This is about finding what is naturally easy for you, for lack of a better term. Do you ever mm -hmm. find something you do a project and you're like, "Wow, I can't believe I did that. That was so much easier than I expected." That's a mm -hmm. natural talent. Or the opposite, you're doing something and it's taking you longer than the average person because you just, you can't get into it. It's just not something you're naturally good at. I think there's a difference. Right. That's the, ooh. My dog agrees. Yeah. <laughs> I'm That's Sierra. <laughs> and if, I, if I'm not doing a good job in explaining, please let no, me know. No, it makes clarify. sense. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. Uh, I just... Curious, um, yeah. He just likes it's, to challenge. He brings in like that that perspective of he's always like, okay, why is this important? Then if everybody thinks that they're special and how can you know and they're utilizing their strength, so it was good. But you definitely explained oh, it really see, well. Oh, you a lot better, Jasmine. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in a roundabout way, that's exactly what I meant. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I, and the other thing, let me just say one more caveat, one more nuance around strength. You also have to ask yourself, is it a weakness because I don't have any training or because I'm not naturally good at it? Now, that is a caveat that's different. So, for example, I always I like to go back to this finance piece, right, because I hate budgeting. I know how to do it. It's just not something that I enjoy. Jasmine does all my budgeting for me. <laughs> <laughs> she helps me with all of that. She makes sure that we're on task and we're on budget. She's just got the strategic piece that I don't have. And to me, I know that I could learn it. I can go to a higher ed finance class and learn it. That's different from me saying I'm going to go on American Idol tomorrow. I can't sing. I don't sing in the shower. That's not a talent I will ever have. The best voice coaches will never 
help me sing because it's just not a natural talent. And I have to accept that, right? There's just certain things. I'm never going to get, uh, what is it, a Grammy. And I have to <laughs> accept that. That is different from me saying, or let's say me going into a new position. Let's say I get a promotion. And 50% of that job will require me to do some higher ed finance. That's very different. Now I need some training in that skill. And what I will do is I will use my top five strengths to make sure that I'm successful. You know, I'll use my woo. I use my extroversion to do that. I'll use my, I'm also an arranger, which is someone who, that has to do with my organizational skills. Um, I have input. Uh, and it's hard because you guys haven't taken it. So maybe I can come back and you can take it and I'll analyze all four of you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as, a team, as a team, analyze is the wrong word. But so I just use the strengths I already have to make sure that I can do that job that I got some training in. But I'm never, ever going to become a singer. So that's not a natural talent that I have. And it's not a talent that I can ever learn either. So there are some nuances to this idea of weaknesses. So yes, higher ed finance is probably one of the things I know least about, but I can get training on it. I can get training on it. So mm -hmm. let's say, cause I work in, in, a, in a marketing company and there's a very big difference between an analyst and a manager. So you need a particular skill set to ha be a manager in order to kind of lead a team because that requires, I think, just some just inspiration and leadership from that perspective. Okay. So let's say if someone took the test and they realized they really thrive within just being in the data, but the next step is to be a manager in order to like grow within the company, what would your recommendation be for that individual if they're already kind of further in their life and maybe having a switch in career paths would be a harder decision to make than someone who's just starting out? That's a great question. Um, so I think that's, that's going to take <clears throat> more than just, you know, the 30 minutes in a, in a podcast, because you really do have to get to know someone to see what else is going on. And one of the things that I would recommend, it's a little high risk, but mm -hmm. I would recommend if that person moves up to a manager role, what kind of influence do they have with their with their new boss or in their company where they mm -hmm. can carve out a little space in that new position to do what they're naturally good at and how can they create their own space within that company to do a little bit of that data management or mm -hmm. maybe the the next level is a manager but in a different department that focuses more on data development. So I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways to, to maneuver that. If you really love that company and you want to stay, you probably mm -hmm. love that company because the people there treat you well as, as well. So mm -hmm. you probably, you know, I'm making a lot of assumptions, but you know, usually people don't want to stay in companies that treat them badly or that they mm -hmm. don't have flexibility or a little bit of autonomy. in. so I'm wondering if this, person who realizes that their passion is not quite in the trajectory that they're going, if they mm -hmm. can make a decision to carve out a little space, maybe help write their own job description and include the things that they're passionate about. Um, it can't always be a hundred percent of everything they want to do because the company mm -hmm. has needs. But I think I would say it's a little bit of a bold move, but I would say go for it. I mean, part of one of the things that I have learned in doing all of this coaching stuff is we don't take enough risks. And so sometimes you just have to take a risk. The answer is always no, unless you ask. Mm -hmm. So there is no harm in saying, Hey, what if the job description was tweaked this way to give me an opportunity to do a little bit more work here because I think I can do X for the company and you have to sell it that way. Got it. So then from oh, like, so sorry, go ahead. Okay. I, my question's from the mouse. Uh, so from an empowerment perspective, do you think the responsibility is more on the individual self-awareness or the company to be able to note, like identify that with the individual to create something to tailor towards them? Personally, I think it falls within the individual. Uh, if you don't have faith in yourself, no one will. If you don't, you know, why would a company with a thousand employees hone in on one person when they have 999 others. So I think in the end, the responsibility falls to us as individuals, to as employees, to really carve out a space for ourselves that sets us above the crowd. Once we set ourselves above the crowd, the company will notice. 
undoubtedly. I mean, think about where you work now. Who's noticed and who's not? <clears throat> who's getting the promotions and who's not? Who's complaining by the water cooler and who's not? Who's happy, who's not? And I mm -hmm. think all of that starts with us. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have enough faith in companies and institutions to think that they're going to hone in on me as an individual and help mm -hmm. me find my passion and my strengths and, and that kind of thing. And I'm someone who loves her job and I love the school that I work for. I have a really great boss. I have great colleagues, but there's no way in the world that I believe that my institution is going to do things for me without me asking and putting forth a proposal, you know? So for example, Strengths Quest is a perfect example. To become certified, I couldn't afford to do it by myself. So I made a request that the university pay for it. And the nice thing is that Gallup um, charges 50% less for nonprofits. So that was the first line of my proposal. It's like, yeah, it says $7,500, but because we work in a higher ed institution, it's going to be $3,750. And I think this will benefit the entire university system. And the university paid for it. The university wasn't going to say, oh, Roseanne, you know, you're pretty good at the Strengths Quest stuff. Let me give you $3,750 to go get certified as a coach. I had to put myself out there. I had to be aware. I had to be enterprising because now mm -hmm. I have the certification and for the CUNY system, they can, I can never charge anybody in the CUNY system. If I want to do this mm -hmm. training, they can invite me in between nine and five and I have to do it for them for free. But in my outside of my work job, I can charge substantial fees for private companies, for individuals to coach them mm -hmm. using the very same training. So I had to put that forth to the CUNY system. They were not coming to me saying, hey, here's $7,500, become a certified coach. Mm -hmm. So they see it now because I put it in their faces. And now that I have the training, I have been able to benefit all of the different schools within the CUNY system who want me to come and do a training. So when would someone need a life coach um, or career coach? Uh, what, at what point in their career were they like, okay, it's time to not go. I mean, how do you know when you go for therapists or a life coach or, <laughs> you know, just curious because they're all interrelated, right? That's a, well, that's a really good question because one of the first things I tell people who want me to coach them, one of the mm -hmm. first things I say is I am not a therapist. I'm not mm -hmm. a psychiatrist. You know, mm -hmm. people who need therapy, that's something I don't take that for granted and I don't take advantage of that. That's a very different skill set. Some of these folks need medication. They need ongoing assistance. So let me put that out there right now. I think mm -hmm. I see I see I, I see coaching as goal setting. If you're coming mm -hmm. to me, it's because you want to achieve a very specific goal and I'm gonna help you set those goals. So for example, let's say you want to get into a PhD program. Mm -hmm. And I am going to work with you for whatever amount of time we set out in the client uh, relationship. Within the next 12 months, you and I are going to work on what it's going to take to get into Columbia, Harvard, and Yale, let's just say. So you're going to come to me with that. And we are going to do it. Like I'm going to make sure that I'm going to say to you, by the end of these 12 months, you're going to get into at least one of those three to graduate school. Mm -hmm. So we set a goal. I do the research about what is required, like what are winning applications? Because I have the higher ed connections to find out what those admissions offices are going to accept and what do they see as a admittable person? You know, what does that essay have to sound like? What kind of grades do you have to have? And if you're missing one of those grades, do we have to re-enroll you to take that class over so that you can get the grade that Harvard wants. So we come up with a plan. Uh, what I mostly do is I work, I work with whomever comes my way, but the people that tend to come my way tend to be women of color. They see something in kind of how I've lived my life and how I have found success that's attractive to them and they wanna know how I've done it. What I do is I give them the inventory so that they can see how they can do it in their own unique way. Because nobody has my five strengths. No, One in 33 million people will have the same five strengths you have in that order. 
So one of the things that women come to me for, they say the same thing, I'm stuck. So I've used that as a little bit of a tagline for some of my um, public speaking and some of my workshops. And people come to me when they're stuck. That has been, on average, the type of uh, requests that I get. I'm stuck at my job. I've been here for 10 years. I've been put, I've been um, passed over for two promotions. I'm there at eight o'clock in the morning and I don't leave till eight o'clock at night. And I hardly ever see my, my child or my husband. They're busting their tushes for companies that aren't seeing their value or they're doing the wrong things at their company and they think they're doing the right things. So I help them. So question in cases like that, should she like bounce like peace, I'm out or do they like, yeah, that can be one of the solutions, Mm. but you can't, most of us can't just bounce without another gig. Mm -hmm. Right. So that becomes one of the, the, the challenges So, okay, Mm -hmm. let's say the job, the company is not appreciating the person. The first Mm -hmm. thing I say is, well, when was the last time you dusted off your resume? Have you applied to new jobs? And they, Mm -hmm. I will tell you that nine out of 10 have told me, no, I haven't looked at my resume since I got this job. And number two, I don't, I'm scared to leave. I get that a lot. I'm scared to leave. Um, you know, this is a good paying job. That's the other, right? We live in a society, we have to pay bills. And if mm-hmm. I'm talking about, if I'm talking about women of color who come to me from New York city, many of them are single mothers, not all, but many. Mm-hmm. So there's all of these other considerations that come into it. And that's why I initially tell people, I am not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. So they have to make a decision whether that is the type of professional that they need. Um, So I say, if it's their job, the first thing I say is time to go. So I will focus the coaching sessions on making it a kick-ass resume, kick-ass cover letter, mock interviews, helping them figure out what their passion is and what types of jobs to apply for. And Mm -hmm. if they have to take a little bit of a pay cut, let's research the company to find out if how quickly people are moving up. Because if it's a temporary pay cut, it may be worth it. Mm-hmm. It may be worth it. For me, it was, it, I didn't take a pay cut, but I took a title cut, if that makes sense, when I came mm-hmm. to my current position. I went from a director to an associate director. Um, mm-hmm. believe it, I was making more money, so that was helpful. But within a year, I had already become a director. And that was mm-hmm. partially negotiation with the woman mm-hmm. who hired me partially understanding their system and how promotions work and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I will have those conversations with the people who are feeling stuck. So at what point should you go see a coach when you're stuck in the way that I'm speaking at your job, when you are looking to change industry, that can Mm -hmm. be a time where a coach could be really beneficial to you because Mm -hmm. you have a passion. Let's say you're, let's say you're a doctor and all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but you have this passion to be a painter. And you're like, I'm tired mm-hmm. of cutting people open and prescribing drugs that really don't work. I want to focus mm-hmm. on the arts and, and that kind of thing. That's not so easy. You think just because you love something, you can go in and beat out a career expert in an art gallery, you know, or beat out an artist. No, there's... There's certain nuances to every profession. There's certain politics to professions, certain trainings, certifications. It's not so easy to move from one career to the other uh, without some research and maybe maybe a coach. You know, I would say that's a good time when you want to move industries, when you're feeling stuck, and when you really are, I think, at a loss for how to develop where you're at. Like if you're in a place that you really love, and you're not seeing the development, that is when you say to yourself, what do I need to do to get better so that I'm noticed? That's when, that's the difference of having to leave versus you changing some of your ways. So I'll give you a very um, easy example. If I, as a woman, women, women of color do not get um, the constructive feedback they need 
the way white women and white men get it in the workplace. And studies have shown that white men in particular, and also white women, but white men in particular, are very, very uber cautious of telling women of color that's not the appropriate clothing. Or that's, you know, you have been rude to customers. This is why you're not getting, you're not moving forward, right? So those things, and I'm, again, I'm choosing a very obvious one. It's, it, those are delicate things because those men, those supervisors are fearful of retaliation. Oh, well, that's sexual harassment. He told me my blouse was too tight. Or you just think I'm an ag- angry Latina woman or angry black woman or that kind of thing. So on, the, on that end, folks who are in power feel very, I don't know, cautious about what, and that's bad for us because we do need, we're not moving because we're doing something wrong at work, but nobody's telling us what it is because they're scared that we're going to accuse them of an ism. And so that's why I say the self-awareness is very important. You know, if, and, and you, you have to kind of think to yourself, what am, I, what am I doing wrong that I'm not getting the promotion? Yes, maybe it's all them. Maybe it is. Maybe it's entirely that company. They're racist. They're sexist. They don't see my worth. Fine, then you need to go. You need to get up. You need to resign. And you need to find a job where you're appreciated. But let's face it. The conflict is a two-way street. If you're not getting a promotion... There is something else going on in what you're providing that you need to start thinking about and shifting. And it could be as simple that you're not aligned with the mission and the goals of the company. And again, I would say you have to leave, but it could just be something as simple as you don't have the training. Maybe your, maybe your, your vocabulary and grammar are off. So your, your reports are not tight. Um, so what are you doing to self-evaluate? And I think that's a time when you come to that realization that you're self-evaluating, you're trying to get better. That's another time that you would need a career coach or a life coach. I remember reading somewhere, and this is my anecdotal experience, is um, when my girlfriends negotiate for salary, they actually have really, really hard time negotiating what they want. So wow, how many when you, girlfriends do you have? Lots, you know. I have you them said they. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because like... Um, professionals i mean like i I had this conversation with a former co-worker and i really want her to negotiate for more money because you know that's like you're worth it girl you know you asked for this much because it's how much you're worth and you know it's always like almost like i was fighting her to make get her more money and i was reading somewhere that like women in general just have trouble negotiating what they want in terms of like salary and i was curious in your experience if you like how do you go about in helping women, particularly women of color, negotiate? I think the reason women are uncomfortable is because they think we only can negotiate cash. And one of the things that I've learned in the past year or two is there are a lot of things we can negotiate. There are jobs who won't give you more cash. Maybe that's it. But what else can you ask for? Can you ask for an extra week of vacation time? Can you ask for a late, like if you are, I'm going to use again the single moms because those are the ones who have come to me. If you're a single mom, can you negotiate a later start time in the morning because you want to be able to take your kids to school? Could you negotiate that? Could you negotiate an easy pass if you're having to cross a bridge to get to work? Can you negotiate um, working from home twice a week? Mm-hmm. So I believe that sometimes we are uncomfortable because the negotiation has to do with the almighty dollar. And yes, that's important too. No doubt about it. But if that's the case and you come up against a wall where cash is just not on the table, there are other fringe benefits that we can negotiate. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I don't go to the, I don't start the, in the office until 10 o'clock. The reality is that I never leave at five. With some exceptions, sometimes my son has a basketball game, I got to go. But for the most part, I'm not walking out of my office until about 5.30, 6 o'clock. So why am I starting at 9? I need to go to the gym. I go to the gym in the morning at 7 o'clock. And the fact that I can start at 10 means that I'll never be late to work. Because I'm already on the road around 8.45. 
it takes about 45 minutes to get to the office and I'm at work by 9:45, 10 o'clock. I negotiated that with my boss. I can't negotiate more money, but I can negotiate something that's for my health and wellness. Right, Jasmine, you know, I mm-hmm. come into meetings sometimes at 10 o'clock. I'm like, I'm there, you know, nine. I'm never in the office anymore at nine. So I'm at work till six anyway. I'm, so can I just have a 10 to six schedule instead of a nine to five schedule? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and to me, that has so much value to me because my, my going to the gym and maintaining my health has been just really an important journey for me. So that's an example. I mean, that's something that I would share with your friends. You know, if they're uncomfortable about cash, there's a lot mm-hmm. of other things that we need in our lives that go beyond cash. So, mm-hmm. and women would, can also negotiate um, childcare too. Sometimes, if their organization provides childcare, that that could be something that they can negotiate, or even professional development opportunities, like a fund aside a year. And in addition to that, they can also ask for technology. You know, different resources that they need. If it's a if it's a phone, a laptop, something that they could have, um, and they could get the technology package that gives them Wi-Fi anywhere in mm-hmm. in the world. And that would be amazing because if they are working from home or coming in and doing these additional hours, that could be part of the the package. I love that idea. I never thought about a technology package. Um, the only thing I would caution to that is if I'm getting a technology package. How much more work do I have to do for these people when I'm not at work? <laughs> so I would mm-hmm. I would be careful with that. But yes, the professional development and the childcare, those things are priceless to to us. I mean, and I'm going to speak to my for myself, professional development, childcare and being able to go to the gym and starting work at 10, that has been priceless. There's no amount of money that um they could give me that that would replace that. Mm-hmm. Cool. And um, we're now at about the 41 minute mark in the episode. I'm sure we can definitely go on for hours here. <laughs> uh, but is it all right if we move on to the bottom line? Yes. Yes, I'm excited. Yes. The bottom right. line. <laughs> Great. And as per tradition, you guys want to rock, paper, scissors, see who gets to ask mm-hmm. a question? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. You too, Roseanne. Oh, oh. (laughs) All right. Courtney, we're waiting on you. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. All right. So who's who's out? Jasmine's out. Okay. I'm out. All three scissors, you guys, we do. (laughs) Okay, fine. Did you have a rock, though, Casey? Yeah, he did have a rock. Yeah, Jasmine just covered my rock with her paper. Unless we cut her paper first and then you bumped our scissors. Then you get the question. Okay, there we go. Okay. I'm fine with right, giving fine. it to Casey. Um, okay, so today we talked about career development and when to find a life coach. And we learned a lot more about Roseanne's um, work. Um, I okay, This is a more personal question. Um, when at that point in your life did you decide to, you know, just say, time for me to change, like, what was that factor that made you realize, like, okay, after this, I'm, I'm done. I need to do something different. Like, and why was that the impetus that made you change? My answer is very practical. I'm uh-huh. going through a divorce, and I needed uh-huh. to monetize the things that I was good at so that I could make extra money. So yeah. for me, it was a life-changing situation where mm-hmm. I was like, shh. Oh, I almost cursed. I'm sorry. I was like, darn it. I'm a single mom. I, you know, I don't, what am I going to do? Like we're used to living with this amount of money and now we have half that amount of money, right? Cause we were a two salaried family and yeah. I found myself, I mean, impoverished is the wrong word because I am very lucky. I, you know, I have a place to live. I have places to, you know, that I could have gone to. I'm not in any kind of abusive relationship or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I live in New York City, very mm-hmm. expensive in terms of housing markets. And the nine to five is just not cutting it anymore in terms of the finances. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was really a practical decision. I had a life altering change and mm-hmm. I had 
take steps to make sure that my son and I were okay. Wow. So you can't get no more personal than that, right? (laughs) But I'm, I'm very happy to share that because I know that there are people who are going through worse and, Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's what it takes. It takes like some kind of life altering change to get Mm -hmm. us to snap out of whatever fog we're in and Mm -hmm. um, elevate ourselves to do something new, something different, something that we're passionate about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) I didn't mean to sound, (laughs) I didn't mean to bring the the party. No, no, actually, that was very inspiring. I bet the Sony people have that same experience. It's just like, I actually find that very um, uh, amazing. Like it's inspirational, that's the word. Yeah. (laughs) Who's next, Chef? Carl. Carl, you next. So for me, it was about 14, 13 years ago. I used to work at a restaurant washing dishes. And I I would go in there for the for breakfast and lunch and wash dishes. And it was actually like my hands because um, when I was washing dishes, they didn't have the, the high rubber gloves. So I would have to wash the pots in very hot water. And at the end of the day, my hands would hurt a lot. And... Um, I used to work the breakfast and lunch shift and then ride my motorcycle back home, change into my waiter outfit and then come back to the restaurant at night. So I would be like carrying the plates to give it to the people eating in the restaurant. And it was it was a very light plate. But in the evenings, my hands would hurt so much that I was like, I can't do this job. And then that was kind of like the moment where I was like, I got to do something else. And then I just gave my 100 percent to school. I was able to finish my bachelor's degree in two years and 10 months. I did the master's right away, did the PhD right away, and here I am. Wow, (laughs) two and a half years, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Wow, Jasmine, you didn't tell me you rode a motorcycle. (laughs) You had to petition that too. (laughs) (laughs) That and a motorcycle? That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Jasmine? I'd say for me, when I when I first um, finished my undergraduate program, and then I I went out into the workforce for first uh, for about two years. I worked in a rental car company. I worked for Hertz, and so I was working like ninety hours a week, and you know I was. So I was like an assistant manager helping run the store. I was doing everything. I was running the store. Then if if somebody, we didn't have enough cars or enough people to clean the cars, I had to register the person. Then I had to run back and vacuum the car, clean the car, then drive the car to the front. Then like, it was just after doing that for about almost, yeah, two years, I was like, I, I really do miss higher ed. And that's when I decided to go back. Um, I've, my, some men- mentors that I've had when I was an undergrad really like told me they're like, you should go into higher ed. And so that's, that's where I went back. And that was like a life changing moment for me because that's where I knew that I needed to work on my self, you know, self resilience and self management, because I'm like, I can't work these 90 hours for the rest of my life, um, in this, in this type of environment. And I really found a community, a welcoming community in, in, in higher ed. And that, and this is where I've been able to, to be successful. And aside from also using like entrepreneurial er- areas that we have and how can we utilize those? That's, that's where I am. Sure. I'm seeing a theme here with education. And with passion. Passions. You know, Carl's passion did not lie in dishes Jasmine's mm-hmm. did not lie in cars and whatever else you all are going to say. And it's like you have to find the stuff that makes you happy and passionate. And mm-hmm. that's part of what the Strengths Finder tries to help people do. Oh, and you know what? I'm getting to you, Courtney. But what you were saying um, uh-huh. was like um, you don't look for external validations. You're looking for internal, like what drives you? What Amen. is your purpose? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Connie, your turn. Oh, my turn. Um, so mine wasn't necessarily a career path thing. It probably started in college where I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just kind of fell into just going in as a business econ because everyone else was like doing finance. I was like, sure, I'll do finance. It'll be fine. 
Um, and then I started taking some of the classes I didn't really enjoy it. And I'm like, maybe I'm just going to take a calculus class for fun. So I did. And I ended up loving it. And the people around me, because they were all kind of about process and logic and just kind of that world of things. And I ended up just switching my major to go directly to that. And I think it was more of a confusing time because they're like, well, what are you going to do with a math degree? You can either do a master's program or get a PhD or you could be a teacher. And I was like, well, I don't know if I really want to do those things. Um, but when I graduated, I just started mass applying for analyst jobs and I ended up where I am today. And I can't complain. It's been fun. <laughs> Queenie's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Casey? So... Um, Five, six years ago, I was finishing my graduate studies and I was in the process of doing my dissertation. And the the the, the crazy thing with dissertations is that that's where most people fall off. They leave like seven out of 10 people, like outrageous number of people leave at that point. And right during the time when I was doing my PhD, the research, my partner of seven years decided that he didn't want to be in a relationship with me anymore. And I was devastated. And um. And I remember, like, <laughs> so embarrassing. I was in the closet crying and, like, holding myself in a ball. And then I was just, like, crying to my mom. And then my mom was like, um, you know, every time when you are you talk with me, you always talk in terms of your John. The, the guy's like, oh, John thinks this. John thinks that. And John, blah, blah, blah. You never think on your own. And you never, you know, were your own individual person. And at the time, I had, like, $200 in bank account. You know, John was paying for everything, so I didn't have a place. And the only thing I had was me and my dog. And uh, at that same time, my aunt from California invited me to visit her. And my old self would be like, no, I don't want to be in position. I don't want to do that. But then at that moment, something happened. And I was crying. I was like, fuck this shit. I will never, ever, ever say no to opportunities. And I will never, ever let anyone ever define how I think and believe and I'm gonna finish this stupid PhD if I'm gonna die doing it so I that was my intention and I moved and I I don't know how I did it but I finished my degree and like an amazing job and I found amazing groups of friends and you know and I'm, I'm looking back and I'm always grateful that he dumped me at that time <laughs> because I became such a I became a better version of myself that I like I like who I am now and I never realized how I was, uh, I didn't like myself when I was then, or was, um, it It was like, yeah, that was to me like a pivotal moment for defining. <laughs> for sharing that, that's, you know, that's very personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's embarrassing too, sometimes. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, you're, you're not the first and you won't be the last mm-hmm. yeah, to, to be, exactly. you know, to come to those kinds of realizations or to be dumped, you know, we... We've all been there. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, this has definitely been a very inspiring discussion. And thanks, Roseanne, for coming on and for joining us. Thank you for having me. You guys are doing great work. Thank you. (laughs) And now we'd like to turn to our listeners. What do you think? Are there any topics you'd like to hear on the show? Would you like to join us for an upcoming episode? Make sure to send us your thoughts at info at ologyresearchgroup.org. And also make sure to follow us on Twitter at ologyresearch. And when you have a moment, make sure to check out Roseanne's website, rosannesantos.com. Have a great week.